Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Boy, lots going on, Claude. It's a busy summer. Busy, There's a busy. lot happening. Yeah, no, you're right. It's the podcast that helps you translate Trump. There's lots to translate today, these days. We're going to dive deep into the Mueller hearings with John Yu. What's left legally to do or to happen? John Yu is a law professor at Berkeley, uh, professor of law, director of the Korea Law Center, the California Constitution Center, and the law school's program in public law and policy. He's also a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, worked in the Bush administration, and um, is regarded by his friends and colleagues as an estimable, uh, brilliant lawyer, lawyer's lawyer, and by his enemies as the guy who designed the uh, interrogation techniques for the captured... People after nine eleven. All I, right, I admire him for mm-hmm. a lot. A lot of people damn him for it. So, Claude, uh, a ton of ink and uh, airtime on the Mueller hearings. Right. Mm-hmm. I've been saying there's a two universes here. You know, the universe of the left and, and the liberals, and and then the Trump world. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody on the Trump side said, "Well, that's it." Or Peggy Lee's lyric in a great song called "Is That All There Is?" Because mm-hmm. if that's all there is, there ain't nothing. Right. Right. But the Democrats are saying, well, this you know, fuels impeachment. Absolutely not, say Republicans. But that seems to be where they're going. I don't think there's much question that it was a disappointment to the Democrats. Right. It's not what they hoped for. And on a personal side, Bob Mueller, it was, it was embarrassing for him. There's that old uh, essay by my philosophy professor, Indecent Exposure, where he says that, use the example of a guy going to a strip club. Mm-hmm. The woman takes off her clothes and the guy leers at her and... And he says the the problem isn't the the stripper, the problem is the guy leering. Much more indecent exposure mm-hmm. of of his soul or character. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a soul or character issue, but it was a. This was this guy was regarded as so super sharp and brilliant, and you know absolutely on target, knows everything, and he was just bumbling, doddering. And I felt badly for him. I have a kind of identification if people will allow it. I know I'll talk a lot about the family, but when I say this, you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. He went to Princeton. He played lacrosse and joined the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Did I remind, know anybody like that? <laughs> I think so. That's one of my guys, you mm-hmm. know, did exactly that. So I have some sympathy there. Um, and, and, you know, I think he's a distinguished guy and a, and a good lawyer, but this was not his report. Now, i got to say, I have some ambivalence on that, too. I've served as the head of commissions, study groups, et cetera, and, you know, the, the, the overse- overseen uh, collections of essays. And other people do a lot of the work for you. Mm-hmm. And you gather it up and you write an introductory essay, which maybe someone drafts for you. But there was this sense that he was more engaged and more involved. So right. if he wasn't and did not know the report as well as he should have, which seems to be the case from what we saw, mm-hmm. then that's a shame. And it re- raises the question, who was in charge? Right. But um, it was it was painful to watch because of, um, you know, you don't like to see a guy in decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy's two years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he just, he was, I wouldn't look forward to five hours testimony. I don't know how good I'd be. Right. But I think I'd be okay for the first 45 minutes, hour, two hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't. Right. Well, I got, I'd be all right for three hours. I did three-hour show sure. every day not yeah. so long ago. But that's just, it's, it, people are different. But it was too bad. Um it didn't hurt uh, Trump at all. No. I wish the Trump team, including the president, would not be quite so gloating. Mm-hmm. And boy, there's nothing there. The president has actually been better than a number of his advisors who've been smiling and laughing and making fun. I wouldn't be doing that. The president's been saying the real crime here is elsewhere. And now that's true. Tables are turned. I said on Fox the other day, that hearing closed the book on volume one. Mm-hmm. Now comes volume two, okay. and volume two is uh, Bill Barr's investigation, John Durham, uh, 
Horowitz, the inspector general at the FBI, at the Justice Department. Um, but now the Trump team goes on offense rather than defense. Mm-hmm. You talked about some of the aides, you know, the, the smiling, the laughing, the gloating. I wonder if there's any political savvy in just shifting the direction. Like, you know, that is what it is. The hearing happened. We need to focus on immigration. You know, we've got 2020 coming up and just shifting the whole discussion to something else, like not even giving it. The, the light of day, not, not you know, breathing air on the fire. Interesting. Would you give up volume two if you were a Trumpista? Uh, no, I would not, but I probably wouldn't talk about it much. Okay. See, I mean, it's been a thought. It's been in my head. Make a truce. Uh, all right. We won't pursue you guys. Mm-hmm. We'll call off the Durham and Horowitz investigation. I'm going to pardon all these people, President says. And we're not going to go after your guys and stop the stupid impeachment proceeding because mm-hmm. it's not going to, it's not a chance that the Senate will convict. The right. No, no. Even if they get a majority to impeach in the House. And let's go to work. Mm-hmm. I'll do all that, but let's get a real immigration bill. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not crazy. But I do think, you know, justice must be done. Justice must come down sure. like mighty no, water, absolutely. you know. And, absolutely. And so that inquiry must go on. I think keep volume two. Just I wouldn't I wouldn't just talk about it a lot. I wouldn't talk about no, it. No, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, stay I wouldn't on the, even stay on the issue. Exactly. See, I don't think it's a good issue for the Democrats mm-hmm. going into the election. I don't think it's a great issue for the Republicans going right. into it. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. That's a great point. All right, I want to talk a little bit, Claude, about uh, substantively about the whole immigration thing. Okay. And the debate and the politics and the Democrats. But first, I want to ask this question. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm a supporter of the president. I like the president. I agree with his policies. Know him some. Um, he calls me occasionally, mm-hmm. rarely, but occasionally. What I don't understand is the focus on the squad. Okay. I, I, I understand this much. The squad is, you know, four left-wing women, right? Yes. And there's an effort to paint the Democratic Party as being a left-wing party. But four left-wing minority women. Right. You've got to add that in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do now, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Right, right. And, and, you know, and I don't think that's smart particularly, you right. know, to, to mm-hmm. emphasize a minority or to say words that, such that people think of their minority status. Sure. You right. know. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me the whole thing is unnecessary. Right. Uh, just focusing on the squad, whether you called attention to the minority status or not. Why? Well, because they are so left wing. Okay. I understand they're left wing. Can I point out to you? That the major candidates for president of the United States on the Democrat side, all, with a couple of exceptions, share the following view. It is not against the law to enter this country illegally or without Mm -hmm. approval. Mm -hmm. You can just come in. It's not against the law anymore. They're in favor of dropping that. Mm -hmm. Uh, When someone comes in illegally, formally illegally, they're eligible for social and health benefits. Right. They're all in favor of that. Mm -hmm. Most of them, with the exception of Biden... Want to end private health insurance. Right. Okay. End private health insurance. It's not illegal to enter the country whenever you want, whoever you are. Mm-hmm. And when you come in, you get all these benefits. That's what the leading candidates for president on the Democrat side stand for. What do you need to talk about squad? Right. Right. Because when you talk about squad, people say, well, that's just a fringe. That's just an extreme. Talk about that, quote, mainstream. Mm-hmm. Talk about the leading candidates for president. You see right. my point? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And by talking about the squad, like you said, you take you make it seem as if that's just a small portion of the Democrat Party and not what the what the momentum in the party is headed towards. The major, the mainstream of that party is mm-hmm. radical enough. Right. You don't have to go over the edge. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, it was uh, obvious in uh, the last debate 
Uh, there may have been, I'm trying to remember uh, the, the gentleman, I mean, he's not one of the mainstream candidates or one of the leading candidates, but the guy from Maryland, the representative from Maryland. Says, John Delaney. Yeah, I mean, you know, he had a sensible thing. Well, you know what, maybe you shouldn't take away, you know, uh, private health insurance, but you can do some kind of supplemental thing. Like, guys, they were running away from that. Like, no. One, they be- yeah, and he's at one third or 1%. Exactly. Or, exactly. or worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So you see my point. Yes. It, there's right. no need to go to the squad. Right. You just go to the mainstream mm-hmm. and, and avoid all the problems with the squad. It's all women, <laughs> they're minorities, go back where you came from, all right. that stuff. Um, Andrew Sullivan, who is a very liberal Republican, I'm not sure he's still a Republican, says this is what's wrong with the Democrat Party. He said what emerged from the uh, debate was their core message to the world. Get here without papers and you'll receive a main treatment while you processed. You'll never be detained. You'll get work permits immediately and you'll have access to publicly funded health care and a path to citizenship if you don't commit a crime. This amounts to an open invitation to anyone on the planet to just show up and cross the border. Anyone on the planet. This is a liberal saying this. Big Trump critic. He goes on, the worst that can happen is you get denied asylum by a judge, in which case you disappear, and there's a 1% chance you'll be caught. Who wouldn't take those odds? Right, right. I mean, I, I think he's absolutely right. He goes on, let me, just, let me just get a little more. He says, when I say these views, I'm told by my liberal friends uh, that I am a restrictionist and that may be racist. Maybe. I tell them that the Mexican people are more opposed to illegal immigration than Americans are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're more opposed to yeah. these people coming in from well, I mean, Honduras going and through Mexico to get here. Mexico's not in a new go. poll, 61.5% of Mexicans oppose the entry of undocumented migrants, period. 44% believe Mexico should remove them by any means immediately. Can you repeat those numbers, please? Yes. <laughs> in a new poll, 61.5% of Mexicans oppose the entry of undocumented migrants. 44% believe that Mexico should remove any undocumented aliens immediately. Wow. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. are they racist? Are they racist about tan <laughs> people? You know, mm-hmm. um, he says, and then people say, well, it's climate change. That's where they're coming to the U.S. He says, well, should all adversely affected by climate change be offered a path to citizenship if they make it to the border? Should every human being in violent crime ridden neighborhoods or countries be granted asylum in America? Is there any limiting principle? They're not even talking about it. I'm trying to remember really to question. the debate. Just the just even the, the the safety of okay you want anyone to come in that's fine how about let's get here through the legal ports of entry I mean they don't even talk about that yeah I'm talking about people stand in line do it right right mm-hmm. that was Andrew Sullivan how about this card carrying liberal Democrat Thomas Friedman columnist for the New York Times I'm struck oh. at how many people have come up to me recently and said Trump's going to get reelected isn't he and in each case when I drill down to ask why I bumped into Democrat presidential debates in June I think a lot of Americans were shocked by some of the things they heard there. I was. I was shocked. So many candidates in the party whose nominee I was planning to support want to get rid of private health insurance. I was shocked. So many were ready to decriminalize illegal entry into our country. Mm-hmm. I was shocked at all those hands raised in support of providing comprehensive health coverage to undocumented immigrants. And I was shocked how feeble Joe Biden was in response to Kamala Harris. And there he is. He's, yeah. talk, he's a Democrat talking about Democrats. They're all shocked by this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mr. President, focus on these people. Don't focus on the squad. <laughs> right. No, you Do you think right. there's a point there? Absolutely. No, there's definitely a point there. Get into 2020 mode. Uh, it's interesting because, and you made this point last week on the podcast, you know, before he jumped into it with, with them, they were battling it with Pelosi. Let them fight amongst each other. Why is he even getting involved? Absolutely. Because <laughs> the main wing, the main body, the bird's body, not the wings. Mm-hmm. 
of the Democrat are is very much going in the left direction. Right. That's my right. point. All right. That's it. I'll uh, save it for next week, but you remind me to tell you about some research I did on how little students learn in college. Oh, okay. Sure. It didn't seem to come as a shock to you. Okay. All right. Fine. All right. That's it, folks. Thanks a lot. And let's listen up to John Yu and Chris Beach and everybody else. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. All right, joining us now to discuss the Mueller hearings, John Yu, law professor at Berkeley, the Emanuel Heller Professor of Law, and director of the Korea Law Center, the California Constitution Center, and the Law School's Program in Public Law and Policy. He's also a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Thank you for joining us today, John. Hey, how are you? Good, good, good. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, what's left, John, on the table legally in the matter of the Mueller report and Donald Trump? I got. I want to break it down. I have some more specific questions, but what's left out there legally? I think the only thing that's left is impeachment. Legally, politically, that might seem foreclosed. But you know what? Impeachment is also where it should have began, because the only thing the Constitution sets out as the way that a Congress can contain a presidency or president that it thinks has abused the power is to remove the president from office. One of my views has been this whole investigation, the whole use of the special counsel, uh, whole Pullman and Mueller has been a misuse of uh, the an effort by Congress actually to misuse the power of prosecution to try to get the executive branch to investigate itself, and none of that is in the Constitution. That's not what our founders intended. But it was it was closed off in other ways as well, wasn't it? There was that uh, OLC business that came up, and then clarified by Mueller in the afternoon, where he said, "No, it wasn't just the OLC holding. We also didn't find sufficient evidence to say that he was guilty of obstruction." Is that fair enough? Yes, I agree. I think that I actually think the OLC opinion is uh, correct, and it goes to this point that if you look at that opinion, it, it says that the founders, that the Constitution itself does not anticipate that the president, who is the head of the executive branch, uh, should be investigated by his own branch, that the president is the chief law enforcement officer in the country, and so it makes no sense to try to use a criminal justice system to investigate him. Uh, and so when Mueller was saying, look, one of the factors I didn't bring the obstruction charges is not only, but one of them was that OLC opinion. I think he's doing that for the right reason. The, you know, the worry is that you've got a lot of these people in Congress who want to just sort of brush by, rush by this uh, important constitutional principle and instead try to, again, sort of misuse prosecutors to try to investigate the chief law enforcement officer under the Constitution. But there was an additional reason he offered, whether you'd agree with it or not, but it's kind of two reasons he offered. They didn't think there was sufficient evidence to say he was guilty of obstruction. Yes. In fact, I think people uh, who've been talking about the decision, the, the report and covering it, uh, miss an important thing. They kind of treat it like Mueller decided not to prosecute uh, and uh, not to prosecute on an obstruction. And we shouldn't forget that, uh, of course, Mueller found no evidence at all of collusion. Or, I mean, collusion is not even a legal term. It's conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians to violate federal law, campaign law. But the other reason I'm sorry. The uh, other reasons he gave, uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that all Mueller said was that we just decided to make no decision. We couldn't figure out what to do, and so actually they did what you know, you, you, know, you Bill, your former cabinet member, you would be probably familiar with this. They really just kicked the ball 
upstairs to someone else yeah. to decide. Yeah. And it's really Barr. It's a really Attorney General Barr who decided not to prosecute. People forget that. But that's important because Barr, he actually said, I don't think there's sufficient evidence here. You know, he said, I'm not actually dropping it because of the OLC opinion. I remember he said something like, I accept the framework set out in the report, and I just think that we, we don't have enough evidence to charge. And so the Attorney General decided not to charge. Tell me, tell me about this. I was I listened to the whole thing. One of the people I thought was most impressive was John Radcliffe of Texas. I think he's been pretty impressive throughout. I don't know what you think, but he honed in on the whole business of, uh, uh, well, first of all, the OLC thing, but then the whole business of uh, exoneration. And that whole discussion seemed to me very strange on the side of Bob Mueller. Well, you couldn't think of a precedent. But this was different because it's the president. Can you help put some light on this? Is there any there there? I think, you know, I think you're right, Bill. He did an excellent job. I actually think the Republican members of the committee, the Judiciary and Intelligence, both did a great job. Uh, Sometimes, you know, you can see in hearing, sometimes the members run down rabbit holes or they get really distracted or, or sometimes they, you know, follow their own little pet theories. They were really good. They hit the important point and you made, you put your finger on it. The most important point, other than the OLC opinion, why you can't prosecute. Right, that's a, that's an important. But it's this question of uh, if you aren't going to charge somebody, you know, is the safety decided you can't charge somebody? Why in the world would you even continue to investigate them? And then why would you put out a public report about things you thought they did, even though you didn't think it was illegal? That is not what prosecutors do. Uh, you know, prosecutors are not just there to. Uh, you know, to win, they're not just there to, they're not like censors from the Roman Empire, Roman Republic, whose yeah, job it is yeah. just to, you know, say this person's good, good and bad deeds for the year. Um, they are only there to go forward with a prosecution if they think they have, uh, you know, sufficient evidence to go to a jury and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone had obstructed justice. If you can't do that, then you're, you are supposed to be silent. Well, then, not correct. to say yeah. anything. Correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't think this thing started out as a, quote, criminal justice inquiry. Didn't it start out as an intelligence or counterintelligence inquiry? Yes, I, I think it's right. You know, that, that didn't come out so strongly in the hearings, but that's definitely true that you one of the problems with this whole thing from the very beginning uh and we should you know credit our friend andy mccarthy uh at national yeah. view yeah uh, as being the first guy who really identified this was that uh this was never supposed to be a criminal investigation it was a counterintelligence investigation and it's not clear that you can even use yeah it's not clear you can even use a special counsel statute uh regulation for that at all uh and so i i, I think i think and i think others think that uh this is really why uh, rosenstein did such a bad service to the country that he panicked and he sort of launched this thing just because he sort of believed, I think, that media hype or all the inside the beltway talk about conspiracy, he kind of got, he, he, he made a mistake. Uh, mistake. So Did he change it from a counterintelligence inquiry to a criminal inquiry? Yeah, well, well the way you think of it is the special counsel really is only there for uh, criminal investigations. I see. Uh, you know, many people don't realize that Justice Department also does this, you know, counterintelligence, which in many other countries is not combined with law enforcement. It's sort of more like an intelligence CIA matter. But anyway, in our system, the FBI and the Justice Department do that too. The special counsel regulations are not really, you know, the special counsel itself is not really to be used to to conduct those kinds of investigations. And the reason why is because a lot of times when you're 
doing this kind of counterintelligence work, uh, it involves facts, people, evidence that really wouldn't be taken seriously in uh, criminal justice as a prosecution because it's always a rumor and you know intelligence involves a lot of vague rumors and you end those things we wouldn't even consider evidence let me let me ask you this uh last question on the sort of clearly unambiguously legal things and then i may ask you to take off your legal hat or not you'll you'll have to tell me uh, (laughs) Uh, and that is a lot of talk by the Democrats that no question, Mr. Mueller, that once president leaves office, he could be prosecuted. Is that true? Yeah, I actually think that's completely wrong. <laughs> I was Tell actually me. a little bit surprised when Mueller said that because of this. Again, it goes back to our time before, uh, you know, that volume two of the Mueller report, obstru- right? volume one, no collusion. Uh, we don't charge. Volume two, Mueller says, I'm not sure what it is. Attorney General Barr, who is you know, the top law enforcement officer in the country short of the president, says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll decide. I decide not to charge. It's over. The Justice Department, you know, 99.9% of cases will never reconsider an uh, earlier decision not to charge. Uh, that's called a declination. In Justice Department lingo, it's called a declination. It would be it would really violate the traditions and practices going back decades, if not hundreds of years at the, in our federal system to tell people oh, we're not going to charge you now, and then say, oh, five years later, oh, we changed our minds. We're going to charge you now. Uh, our system doesn't work like that. So when actually when Mueller said that, he might have been speaking constitutionally. He might have been right to say, well, a president could, you know, who leaves office can be prosecuted. That's true. I mean, that's uh, the lesson of Bill Clinton. I mean, he wasn't impeached, but he was still subject to, I mean, he was impeached, he wasn't removed, but he was still subject to uh, civil and criminal penalties for all of his bad deeds. But in this case... Supposing new facts come to light. Yes, in, in that one situation, if some kind of new facts come to light, and even so, they have to be new facts that completely change everything. So look at the case of this fellow uh, Epstein, uh, the you know alleged yeah. child sex trafficker. Yeah. Right. So he reached a plea bargain in Florida. The reason why New York can uh, go after him is because it's a different set of prosecutors and it's different conduct uh, in New York. So it's not even new facts. It's just that he did something different in another jurisdiction uh, that would allow you to charge. But I don't see how that could happen with Trump. You know, like. Let me push on that. Let me push on that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Epstein, did he really do something different? He did the same thing, maybe with different girls, but he was doing the same thing, wasn't he? Yes. It has to be different. I'm sorry. It has to be different facts. So okay. Uh, okay. One way to think of it is, uh, you know, say he engaged in child sex trafficking from you know 19, let's say 2000, 2005, and they reach a plea bargain uh, in Florida and they reach a plea bargain in that. But if he then does it from 2005 to 2010 in New York, again, they can still charge him for that because it's the different conduct, different. He did things. See, that's why I don't think I don't think this could happen with President Trump because you know I I don't think what he did was obstruction. I don't think firing you know ca- uh, cabinet members can be obstruction. Staying with your example, supposing you get all these facts in the next two or three years, he's supposing he doesn't win in 2020, and you get all these facts about uh, you know income tax fraud or you know dealing. You know, violation of financial crimes in his business operations. Oh, yes, you're quite right. You know, so these things that, like, in New York State, uh, for, uh, unfortunately, my state, California, are up to trying to mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. get his tax returns out in public, generate some kind of prosecution for 
money laundering. That's still all possible. You're quite right, Bill. So the only thing I'm saying that uh, Trump could not be prosecuted for after he leaves office would be collusion with the Russians or obstruction of justice, obstruction of justice for these for this investigation. Right. But other facts and other circumstances may be good. And can that decision be made by Preet Bharara or whoever's in charge of the Southern District of New York or any place else? Ultimately, it would still be the attorney general. It would be. Yeah. So some guy, you know, in a Democrat, say the Democrats win uh, next year. You're, you're right. I mean, this is not uh, you're, you're I guess you said the question is this over? And I guess you're right. It's not over in terms of the other ways that uh, Trump's critics are trying to use a legal process, legal system to attack him. So all the other stuff like uh, Michael Cohen and campaign contributions, all that stuff, that's still alive. Yeah, I'm not I'm not wanting this to happen, but it is interesting after all that during the campaign and lock her up. President Trump, uh, Attorney General Barr have not done anything to op- reopen or open up the case and other facts in regard to Hillary Clinton. Oh, yes. I think actually, uh, you know, I could easily see one of these candidates. In fact, right. They, some of them already said, you know, yeah. if I'm president yeah. <laughs> and I win, uh, you know, I'm going to have this reinvestigated, which is sort of, you know, bringing us into banana republic territory. I mean, that would be a really a real misuse of Okay. Uh, the power, the, you know, the great power of prosecution. Maybe you got your legal hat on, maybe not. But let me ask you, just step back. Quite apart from the the Mueller and and the embarrassment factor, the doddering and stuff, which was you know a painful to watch. Is that, there's no legal significance to to the fact that he may have been disconnected from this report that it was all done by staff people. Does that have, oh my gosh, he didn't write it, it was written by Weissman, or it was written by this other guy, Zedlow, whatever his name is. Does that have any legal significance? It doesn't, does it? There, uh, not for Trump, but for the investigation, there is some because uh, because of this. So, uh, you know, there were uh, there's been a lot of criticism about uh, by hiring of people to work on the investigation who are biased. Uh, you know, some of them were already fired, like the uh, FBI, you know, the two FBI agents who were texting you know, very anti-Trump comments or even while they were investigating the Clinton campaign back in 2016. Um, so. I, I actually personally didn't take those claims as seriously as other people because I thought, you know, Mueller was sort of in command and he has this sterling reputation. After watching those, as you said, I agree, those painful hearings, but they were really painful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes me wonder, uh, was this investigation really as uh, neutral as I thought it was? If, if Mueller really wasn't in charge, uh, then you actually do have the possibility that, that he was sort of, he was taken advantage of by these much harder partisan people who yeah. wanted to use yeah. the investigation. Yeah. Yeah. If that is true. Yeah. Then there are there are av- legal avenues uh, within the Justice Department uh, or within the legal system to investigate them because you know, I was in that you know, I was in the Justice Department. I participated in very difficult, sensitive things. Uh, you are not supposed to participate in decisions in which you might have a personal connection or bias, or even create the perception of bias because then it destroys the integrity of the investigation. And actually, that's exactly what we're seeing happen now. Yeah, yeah, John. And that's see why it. none of those people should have worked in the investigation. They should. They should have, on their own, said, I'm not going to work on the investigation. They shouldn't need people to tell them. Yeah, I wonder. It occurred to me, I don't know if anybody else said this, but if they if they, if they they knew then what they know now, if they would have said, well, uh, Mueller can't come, he's sick, um, but he's asked his deputy, Mr. Weissman, to come, uh, we might have had a very different hearing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would have been, yeah. I mean, for, you know, Weissman would have been, yeah. uh, you know, tougher, but also I think the bias in the investigation would have become much more uh, good yeah good point good balancing point excellent yeah, the, excellent yeah, point he, 
that was so that's a thing I think that the that's a big legal change political change that you know I'm, I'm sorry you know uh, you know Mueller's you know faltering pro, uh, performance creates is then it really makes you ask who were these people who wrote okay. uh, the report you know the report okay. a lot of people said the report okay. ha- seems like it seems schizophrenic in the way it was done. Okay. Yeah, you're right, though. But even even though faltering and doddering, he didn't seem particularly partisan. He just seemed confused, though. No, that's the thing. I think Mueller, because of his reputation and his record, had provided this yeah. this good housekeeping seal of yeah. approval on everything they did, and now that it doesn't, it's no. Now that people question that, yeah, uh, it you. does open up this box, yeah, about all these other people and what they were doing. All right, how about this uh, other box? And this uh, last question, maybe legal hat off, but you know, alternate universes here. Um, Republicans saying, "Well, for sure, there won't be impeachment. This will stop that, and uh, that's done." And there's some celebrating, some even some gloating, which I don't particularly like. Uh, on the Republican side and the Trump side. But on the Democrat side, I saw Nadler on this morning say, yeah, well, it looks like, you know, I think they're going to go ahead with it. We're going to go ahead with it. Um, r- really? Um, you know. Yeah, I'm surprised. People are really living in different worlds, aren't they? Yes. The lawyer or political hat of me says, you know, that yeah, we, there are these two really different ways of looking at it, um, which is kind of different than what happened in the Clinton years. Because in the Clinton impeachment, everybody pretty much admitted the guy did it. <laughs> it was just a question of his impeachment. Is that the right tool? Here, uh, you know, here there's just a dispute over the facts. So, you know, putting it on one side or the other, you know, um, a lot of people on the left are complaining that, oh, impeachment doesn't work. It's not the right thing because it's uh, it's political. And they forget that the founders wanted it to be a partially legal or constitutional and partially political decision. They, they thought about and even considered putting the power of impeachment in the courts. And they decided against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and, they, and they wanted to have it in Congress because they wanted the decision to in part be a political decision because it was such a serious step to revert, re- reverse the outcome of a national election for the most important office in the country. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. where, the thing that the Democrats, you hear on us, like, oh, these people on our side, people are not going to do the right thing because of politics. They forget that's exactly what impeachment calls on you to do is to make that choice. And so you would only ever remove a president or a chief justice. You, know, you would only impeach them when it was so serious, it outweighed the politics. And I just don't think that's pro- that's present here. What do you think will happen? Well, I, I, I think you're right. I think your, your guess is right. I, I, I would bet on your, you know, what you're saying is that you would probably see uh, the House start some kind of impeachment proceeding. But if I were them and I was thinking at a t- totally partisan lens, I would just try to drag out the impeachment hearings until the election. Right? They, what they loved about the Mueller, uh, they wish the Mueller report had never, Mueller vesting never ended. Yeah, sure. <laughs> for, La- for them, the ideal political position is just to drip, 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 more information. Maybe they'll set off Trump. Maybe they'll maybe they'll find something. But just having an investigation going on all the time—that's what they love yeah. because it just kept the presidency under this constant cloud of illegitimacy and just right, you just produce a scandal. That's what Washington loves and the media loves. That. So if I were them, I would probably start something. They might not even call it. They might just call it preliminary impeachment investigation. Bring all the same people back that Mueller talked to, which they could do, um, and try to get you know cabinet officials to testify and former campaign people, and just have it go on all the way till November. Uh, there are two more quick questions just on the base of that. Public have interest in that and supporting that? I don't think so. I don't know. You know, the one thing that's 
struck me about the, the this whole investigation was I think Mueller discovered pretty quickly that there was no conspiracy. Uh, you know, the real reason that he was appointed and the real the reason we went through all this, he pretty, I think he knew very surely soon on that nothing had happened. You could tell from the outside pretty soon after his investigation started that nothing had happened. And yet look at the whole supporting infrastructure, the media and you know, the culture and entertainment, all these industries that loved the investigation, kept it. And, you know, majority of Democrats loved it. And they control the House of Representatives. People. What about, I'm asking oh, about yeah, the people. I, well, yeah, I think the poll, I think the poll numbers show, actually, the president's doing really well. Ever since the Mueller report's been released, right. you know, the numbers and support have been dropping like a stone. All right. So if the public doesn't have interest in continuing this, does it also not have an interest in continuing the other side? I said the other day on uh, TV this ends volume one, now volume two, which is uh, John Durham and uh, Horowitz, etc. Uh, I would like to see justice satisfied. I'd like to see those inquiries taken up and pursued. But, you know, maybe maybe the president should say, how about a truce? I'll call off my dogs here. I'll call off Durham. I'll call off Horowitz. Uh, I'm going to pardon these people uh, who got, uh, the got, got shafted. Uh, you call off impeachment. Let's do an immigration bill. No more. It's over. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought of that. You know, I think I, I see the political you're, upside. That's because that. you're thinking about arcane, interesting legal questions. That's right. <laughs> and I'm down here in the muck. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm a, in the swamp. I'm a swamp creature, you know, John. The lawyer, the, the lawyer, the legal person, and the lawyer had him. He says, I hope he doesn't do that for this reason. Um, if you think about it, what just happened was one political campaign uh, used fake information to launch this incredibly destructive, not just uh, investigation into the other campaign, but destructive harm to our political system. I want to ho- find out what happens so it never happens again. Because think about what's going to happen in the next election. And then the one after that, I, I, I mean, it was so if you think about it, it was so easy for the Clinton campaign to have done what they did. They, I know. they really misused the whole machinery of the Justice Department and the FBI and the CIA against you know a rival major party presidential. So, but I totally see the politics, the short-term politics. But the, whole, the longer term, I hope they, they really flush out all of this because I, I look how much damage it costs. I know. I agree with you. And I'm, I think we ought to pursue it. But I can see a lot of the public say, I don't want to hear any more about it, either on offense or defense. Yeah, I agree you know, you. Anyway, but uh, that will go on. And I'm damn interested to find out because if it was that corrupt as we think it might have been at the highest levels of justice, FBI, that's about one of the most corrupt uh, enterprises in American history. Fair enough. I, it's, uh, so. it's on a par if it doesn't exceed Watergate. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. John, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Always enlightening. We really appreciate it. Oh, my, my pleasure. Anytime. I really enjoyed it. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. So, Dr. Bennett, last week we talked about oh. soccer. Oh, <laughs> the trying culture. to forget. I'm trying yeah. to forget. Well, you mentioned uh, to get Chris's, uh, Chris Beach, our former colleague former uh, on the colleague. radio show, uh, his opinion on it. So I texted him and said we may give him a call during the show when we're taping to talk about mm-hmm. this. And so you, you want to give him a call now? I guess that requires me to talk about soccer again. But, yeah, I think we have to we have to be fair, fair yeah. and balanced, yeah. as we say. Let's so let's, let's give Chris a call. Yeah. Hey, man. This is Chris Beach. Chris Beach. <laughs> how are hey you? Guys, how you doing? Good. So let's talk some soccer. All right. Now, we were making fun of soccer, <laughs> along with Ann Coulter's column, which gave us a lot of grist for the mill, and you reacted almost violently. 
<laughs> now, what is your background as a as a soccer enthusiast? Uh, I guess my background is that I played soccer pretty much my whole life up through college, and consider myself a pretty big fan. There, there are bigger fans out there, I'll admit, but yeah, pretty big fan <laughs> of soccer. Played it most of my life. Coached it. With uh, Mrs. Bennett. Oh, don't try to ingratiate <laughs> yourself <laughs> to the host. Hey, I got to pull out every card. Points, I can points, here. So points. Coach, yeah. Coach some uh, of her best friend's kids. And so, yeah, that's my background. Here we go. I'm reading from Coulter. I've held off on writing about soccer for a decade or about the length of the average soccer game. But enough is enough. Any growing interest in soccer can only be a sign of the nation's moral decay. What say you? Well, to, to the first part, I mean, baseball games are three, four hours long. Soccer's 90 minutes, no commercials for 45 of those minutes for each half. So there are longer sports. Uh, moral decay, the, look, I knew you were, were going to ask me about this. So I tried to think <laughs> of the, the best analogy I could. And, and, and here it goes. So I love soccer. I've played soccer uh, my whole life. But even I know that trying to explain or defend soccer to most Americans is sort of like trying to explain being a vegan. <laughs> even, You're not a even, vegan. No, I'm not. I'm not. But including the vegan, I think, know that, you know, you may have reasons for liking it. Other people may like it. But deep down inside, I think everyone knows there are uh, better better options. Yeah. And, and so I, I love soccer, but... Yeah, it's I the, do agree, you know, they're... Right. It's a succotash right. of sports. Okay. That's a big concession. Uh, everyone runs up and down the field, and every once in a while a ball accidentally goes in. Uh, it's a little more calculated than that. Right. <laughs> now, you said they go for a long time without a commercial, right? Yeah, 45 minutes. I yeah. agree, and it's the only sport I have ever watched where I was waiting and hoping for a commercial. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Some interesting Geico commercial or something. But liberal moms like soccer because it's a sport in which athletic ta- talent finds so little expression. No serious sport is so co-ed in the early grades. Yeah, look, here's where I, I sort of agree with Coulter um, at my own risk. I, I agree with her that the, I think the thing that Americans don't like is when soccer is pushed on them as yeah. some superior sport. Yeah. And, and I get that. And that's sort of where I agree with her. Like, let soccer be soccer. Let it do its thing. You don't have to push it as some superior form of athletics. Let the women do their thing. Um, it's fantastic they won the World Cup. Uh, the men will probably never win a single World Cup. So I think that's fantastic and worth celebrating. But let it be what it is and let it grow on its own merits and let it develop its fan base without you know, trying to make other people feel guilty for not enjoying the sport. She says, uh, I resent the force-fed aspect of soccer. That's what you're talking about. Same people trying to push soccer on Americans are the ones who demand that we love HBO's Girls, Light Rail, Beyonce, and Hillary Clinton. The number of New York Times articles claiming soccer is catching on is exceeded only by the ones pretending women's basketball is fascinating. Let me turn the tables a little bit. I, I would ask you, there are a lot of stories about how lacrosse is catching on, you know, and how 
there's this new professional lacrosse league and how interest is growing. And, you know, the same thing happened when they do some of these XFL things. And, and doesn't that, you know, don't, doesn't that seem forced to you as well? Yes. And the only reason I watched so much lacrosse is guess why? <laughs> you had two sons who played it. I had two it. sons who played it. Since they have stopped, you know how many games I've watched? I watched C-SPAN instead. She says it's foreign. In fact, that's the precise reason the Times is constantly hectoring Americans to love it. It's like the metric system, which liberals also adore because it's European. But despite being subjected to Chinese-style brainwashing in the schools, to use centimeters in Celsius, ask any American for the temperature, and he'll say something like 70 degrees. And when you ask him how far Boston is from New York, they won't tell you about meters or, or kilo, kilometers. They'll say 200 miles. So I think there's that. Is it catching on? They keep telling us it's catching on. I think it's growing, but as Coulter said, it's growing because of changing demographics. And it's no secret that folks from Europe, Central, South America, soccer is the number one sport there. So as more of these people come to the U.S., the popularity is going to increase. Two last questions, then we'll leave you alone. Thank you for stepping up into the strike zone here, too. We appreciate it. I will always be the punching bag. And which is which is this? She says, if you have a great-grandfather who was born in America, I guarantee you he does not a, he's not a soccer fan. Would you agree with that? <laughs> it's not an American sport. But I think the universe of sports is big enough that people can love American football and still you know, watch or play tennis, for example, without having to say that you know, tennis is superior. Um, and that everyone should enjoy and watch tennis, and there should be a super, the Wimbledon should be equivalent to the Super Bowl. I, I just, you know, I think there's enough time in the day, and there's enough room in this world that people can appreciate both for what they are. I agree with that. I mean, and that's back to your vegan thing. I eat my spinach. It's not my favorite part, but I eat my spinach. But nobody's force feeding tennis on us. I, I will say, and I don't know if this is a defense or not, but um, I would I would like to hear Ann Coulter write a column about crew. You know, I think there are one or two more sports that are a little, that may even be more elitist in her eyes. So maybe you should uh, encourage her to write about crew or squash or one of those. Nobody's forcing that on us. That's I think that's the point of the resentment, really, the serious point. It's for us to well, become more foreign. You know, when it all ends up is us joining the Paris Accords again. You know what that where it's going. I've, I've never heard President Trump talk about soccer. Have you? Well, Barron plays soccer. Well, that's okay. I, my kids played soccer, too, until they were told they were too good and they had to stop s- s- scoring. There's a soccer goal right out in the yard in, by the White House. I don't know if you've noticed that. All right. Thank you, Chris Beach. Good sport. Good spirit. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. We'll have to leave it there for now, folks. We covered a lot today. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. Claude, I don't know if you know this, but you can follow me on Twitter. Yes. At William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast yes. with friends. Growing, by the way. This podcast is growing. It's growing. I mean, in large numbers. And so. Leaps and bounds. Yes. steps. Mm-hmm catch up with you next week folks thanks for listening